Hey everyone, welcome to the week two edition of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. All right, Joe, we got our special uh, lock of the week uh, coming in now. Of course, our lock of the week is always brought to you by our fine sponsor, Beach Ball Properties. Uh, right now, it is still nice and toasty outside and a good time to go to the beach down in Orange Beach and Gulf Shores. And if so, if you want to rent a, uh, a place there, blowing up with a lot of different beach ball properties, give Hunter and Ginger a call, Hunter and Ginger Harrelson a call and have a ball at the beach. And... Joe, I think uh, last week, uh, you know, I believe, uh, you know, I picked Florida State to, to beat LSU. I don't remember if that was my lock or not. Uh, I know, too, that I think, you know, uh, I definitely picked uh, TCU to cover the spread, and that was not a good one. Uh, but, Joe, this week a, a spread just really jumped out at me. And Oregon last week, they've been really hyping the Bo Nicks for Heisman campaign. There was even a billboard in in uh in Times Square, huge billboard for Bo Nix, just advertising him for Heisman. And Oregon went out and dropped 81. That's right, 81 points in football, not basketball, against Portland State last week. And meanwhile, Texas Tech went out and lost to Wyoming, uh, you know, up in up in Wyoming. So I know that's a little bit of a weird road trip, but there was a lot of people that had Texas Tech as like a borderline top 10 team, at the very least a top 15 team, which you and I talked about. We didn't really understand it based on what had happened uh, the year before and where everything had gone with, with Texas Tech. I mean, really the only thing I thought of note last year was they beat they beat Texas at home, and Texas wasn't a great team last year. Oregon's favored only by seven and a half. Uh, Texas Tech, you know, showed an inability to beat a – the Wyoming team, who's a decent Mountain West team, um, they didn't put up the kind of numbers you'd expect with Tyler Shuck as their quarterback. And Bo Nix and Oregon are rolling right now. And to me, this looks like a huge beatdown. And I know that Lubbock can be kind of a weird place to play. Um, and Bo Nix hasn't had the best career in road games. But to me, this the seven and a half is just, I mean, I think Oregon wins by at least three touchdowns. And that would be an impressive showing, you know, if they pull that off. Like, you know, that could really kind of galvanize them and kind of separate themselves with a non-conference win um, on the road and in that fashion. And I think that Texas Tech would be in a world of trouble if they start out 0-2 in that scenario. I think they would, too. I mean, I think that would completely derail, like, all of the great hopes that everyone had going into this season. And, I mean, you know, I think that people were very happy with what Sean McGuire has done at Texas Tech. But it definitely would, uh, you know, damper down the huge optimism they had that had people even considering them a top 15 team. Right, right. Precisely. And then um, the lock of the week I was looking at, Dan, is um, taking the um, under and over-under for the Kansas State-Troy uh, game. Um, I feel like this game has uh, more of an opportunity, more of a chance to be kind of a defensive-minded game. So like, you know, points are going to be more at a premium, you know, outside of like some of the days of Colin Klein and a couple of other exceptions at quarterback. You know, you don't really necessarily think of uh, Kansas State as an offensive juggernaut. And then similarly, I look at Troy as, you know, a very well-coached team, but a team, you know, that's going to be a little bit more old-fashioned and kind of defensive-minded. Yeah, Joe, I mean, I got to see that Troy defense in person last year when they took on South Alabama. They have a very – Excellent, efficient, well-coached defense. 
Uh, so does Kansas State. They don't make a lot of mistakes, and both of them are very run-oriented with the, the way they like to have their offenses. Uh, this over-under is 51-and-a-half. I look at this as a game that's going to be somewhere in the range of 24 to 14, something like that. I expect Kansas State to win, but I think it's going to be a, a low-scoring affair. Right, right, precisely. And, you know, Kansas State, it, it, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Troy were to win this game. Uh, Kansas State last year got beat pretty bad by Tulane, and that was kind of the game that got Tulane going. And Troy last year was an excellent football team, and, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could be this year's Tulane. Sure, sure. I mean, they, they definitely will have a, a good opportunity to do so. And, you know, Kansas State may kind of uh, set up for that that trend. Some of these teams like a Clemson or like a TCU, you know, they were really good last year, but uh, kind of maybe struggling this year. That's right. And just speaking of Tulane, uh, Tulane is hosting what could be the biggest home game they've had in the history of their football program, at least since they were back in the SEC, which I think it's been since at least the 1960s, the 1970s. Uh, when when Tulane was in the SEC, it sounds like I want to say it was the mid '60s was the last time they ran it. Um, Ole Miss is 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 coming to the Superdome to take on Tulane, and by that I mean Tulane Field because they don't play the Superdome anymore. Um, you know, Tulane's coming off uh, last week they played a good South Alabama team and and really stuck it to them. And you know, on the flip side, Ole Miss was taking on Mercer, not exactly a world beater. But there's not a whole lot of negatives you can take from a 70-3-7 to to game where I think in the first four minutes of the game, Jackson Dart had already thrown three touchdown passes and it was 13-13 to passing. Um, so, I mean, Ole Miss played excellent against, you know, mediocre opponent last week. And meanwhile, uh, Tulane just looked great against a good opponent. Um, Ole Miss is favored by 7.5 in this game, which to me is, you know, I think that would be a, a solid bet if you wanted to take Tulane on the points right here. Uh, Joe, I think this is one of those games where, you know, if you're Ole Miss, you just want to get out of there with a W. Uh, I mean, this is an excellent Tulane football team. And I think that, uh, you know, if Tulane wins, uh, I wouldn't be in the least bit surprised. The way I'm looking at it, it's hard to get a really good read on it because you don't know how Ole Miss is going to play in an environment like this. You know, it's going to be unique for them with a smaller stadium set up. It's going to be really hot and humid down there in New Orleans. Um, I knew friends that were at the Southern Miss Tulane game down there last year, and they were talking about kind of how bright the sun can be at that hour, you know, kind of have that mid-afternoon, late-afternoon kickoff like it will be. So you definitely have some concerns if you're Ole Miss, especially with the respect that you have to give um, Tulane, you know, with the season they had last year winning the Cotton Bowl and the way they looked uh, last week against uh, South Alabama, like you said. If you're Ole Miss, though, I think that you have to have confidence to the extent that I don't think Tulane's going to be able to stop their offense to a large degree. Um, I, I certainly have some concerns about the tight end position because – you have a couple of injuries on that side of the, of the football, but the wide receivers to me played better than expected. Um, Trey Harris specifically, he was the receiver that had all three of those Jackson Dart touchdowns um, in the first quarter, and he had three touchdowns before there were even twelve minutes remaining in the first quarter. Like I've never seen anything like that ever. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to set the uh, the single. Uh, game record with four touchdowns later in the game 
for an old Miss wide receiver in school history. And so receivers performed better than I expected. The running game, I didn't see a whole lot from, but I think they were kind of being cautious with Judkins and company. I still want to see who's that number two guy that's going to step up um, behind uh, Judkins. But I think the big thing I'll be looking at is um, how does Ole Miss's defense play in this scenario? Because I was a little bit concerned about the fact that they let the Mercer quarterback kind of get away from the defense and have that long touchdown run. Yeah, and that happened on what, like the second play of the game that Mercer had the ball. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they also gave up like a long kick return and then Ole Miss had a good kick return. I mean, it kind of like, you know, it, it was interesting how that worked out. Um, that is a concern. And, you know, one thing that Tulane has is they have an excellent quarterback. Uh, Pratt, I think he ended up going, going through like one incompletion against South Alabama and he's a returning uh, returning player from last year on their excellent team. One thing I'm very happy that Ole Miss doesn't have to play is that Spears, the the incredible running back that I saw in person last year, the senior bowl for Tulane, he's not there anymore because that guy is an absolute world beater. And he showed it against USC where I think he had something like 200 yards rushing and 100 yards receiving. And that guy's going to be an excellent pro. And with the way that running backs really kind of ran through Ole Miss last year, I'm very glad that they don't have to see him. Um, and, in fact, I think if Tulane had him, I probably would pick them to win this game. But I think that, uh, you know, the Ole Miss defense, I thought, looked better in their first game with Golding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're going to be able to get a little bit of pressure on Pratt, which the South Alabama was unfortunately not able to do. And, you know, I think the Ole Miss defense is going to be improved throughout the season. We saw a little bit of that in week one. I think this is going to be a very good litmus test for them. I think this is a game that comes down to the wire, and I like uh, Ole Miss to win this game, I'm going to say 35 to 31. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's a litmus test, too, for both teams because, you know, if you're Tulane, you want to see how close can you play an SEC opponent. You know, can you pull off this upset to galvanize your season? If you're Ole Miss, you know, how close are you to Tulane? How much separation can you create? Here's here's the way I kind of see the game, Dan, the, the way I've been kind of feeling the vibe. Again, I just don't see a pathway where Tulane's going to be able to stop Dart in that offense. You know, I want to see how the running backs do, but I really feel like from what I saw kind of hearing about the preseason, you know, just Dart seeing his arm action and arm strength and accuracy – I feel like he's gotten a lot better with the with the kind of the challenge of having Spencer Sanders, you know, there in fall camp. So I kind of feel like, you know, this is going to be a good showing for him. And so I'm kind of starting to lean towards Ole Miss winning this by 10 to 15 points. Like I think they're going to get out of there um, kind of surprisingly comfortable. Well, that would be a very impressive victory. And I will say that Jackson Dart was was excellent last week. And I thought he showed a lot of improvement from the year before. I mean, and I've said it before, too, that, like, he was a lot better as a first-year quarterback than Matt Corral was. And I was kind of surprised that, you know, that Lane even wanted to go out and get all these guys in the portal, like Spencer Sanders and um, and Walker Howard from LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, but, hey, I mean, it did. Iron sharpens iron, right? And it made Jackson Dorth that much better. And, I mean – 
you know, it, it still is so weird to me that Spencer Sanders made that decision to transfer when he had started for Oklahoma State for the last four years and would have been the starter this year. Seems like that was probably a mistake for him. Um, but I am happy with the results that we've seen with Jackson Dart, and I definitely think he's going to get his even against a team like Tulane that's very talented. Yeah, yeah, I feel like he'll get his yards. And, and you're right, though. I mean, I, I still cannot understand what Sanders was thinking. And, and I saw a graphic where, like, the Ole Miss quarterback room, not only do they have a lot of depth with uh, Sanders and Howard, but, like, the guys that play at Ole Miss that are no longer on the roster, you know, starting elsewhere, like Plumley and Altmeyer and even Kincaid Dent is a starter elsewhere. Yeah, I saw that. I couldn't believe I saw Ken K. Dent playing. I forgot that he was even around anymore. It had been so long since since he played because he was kind of the backup to Matt Corral in his, like, first season at Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah. So you have uh, – I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen a college quarterback tree uh, that had, you know, quite so many branches. Yeah, it really has. I mean, Lane Kiffin has shown what he can do with, with quarterbacks and, and how they, they have this many opportunities elsewhere – um, but I think this is going to be a big opportunity. And, you know, for, for Tulane, if you think about it, uh, Cincinnati a couple of years ago was able to parlay a huge win against Notre Dame into helping them get that fourth spot in the college football playoff. Tulane has so much cachet last year from beating USC and the Heisman Trophy winner that if they were to go undefeated and look impressive beating Ole Miss, they've already beaten South Alabama, which is well-regarded go through the schedule, go unscathed, I think they would have an outside chance of getting a top four seed, especially when you think about that's kind of the the stepping stool that Cincinnati had, right? You know, they they went undefeated. They played Georgia in a close game. That kind of got people thinking about them. Then they had that undefeated season. I mean, this is definitely a setup for Tulane. So that's going to be a huge motivational fact that, that Ole Miss is going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, they'll really want this game for a variety of reasons. You know, when they scheduled it, you know, they, they really are excited about it. And two years ago, Ole Miss played them in Oxford and, and you know, beat them, of course. Um, I think that was the game where there's like the lightning delay or rain delay. And so, you know, they're going to be coming for them. And I think it will be a big uh, indicator for um, both teams and, you know, with Ole Miss, uh, you know, to see if, if they play them close, if they lose to Tulane, that that is very concerning, you know, whereas if they can kind of create that separation, you know, we'll see, you know, how they can kind of – let's see if that bodes well for the rest of the season. Absolutely. Uh, and, Joe, from Auburn Tigers, they have a really unique road trip. They're traveling out to Berkeley to take on Cal. Um, you know, this is a game where I, I don't think Cal is necessarily a bad football team. I think they're kind of a, a mediocre football team, kind of like they've been ever since Justin Wilcox got out there. Um, you know, Cal now they're they're going to be in the ACC, which is – I guess no longer going to stand for the Atlantic Coast Conference. It'll be the All Coast Conference. Um, the game doesn't start till nine thirty at night Central Time, seven thirty East Coast West Coast Time. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that that Auburn players and fans aren't used to. There's things that are that are legal out there that aren't legal in in, in Alabama. There's definitely different kinds of alternative lifestyles that that will be on display. And it's going to be in a small stadium, um, but one that, you know, like I said, all these things are kind of, you know, out there for them. Uh, and I think there's even like an outfield part of the, the Cal Stadium where people party and it's kind of on display. And, of course, you know, it's just a long way out there. And so I think Hugh Freeze has been very 
very timid about what he's been saying about this road trip. And you can tell that he's concerned about the focus the player is going to have, the effect of the travel. And, and this is a game, Joe, where Auburn is clearly the superior team. I thought they did a great job in their first week on offense, especially with the way they used Robbie Ashford. Uh, now he's got the nickname uh, Red Zone Robbie, Robbie Red Zone, for him kind of coming in and being like the Tim Tebow for Auburn's offense with Peyton Thorne being like the Chris Leak. And I thought it worked great. Uh, and, you know, Jarquez Hunter began to play last week. But we got to see was a very deep running back room and three guys, Damari Alston, uh, Jeremiah Cobb, who's the true freshman that I was excited about for Montgomery Catholic. He had a long touchdown run. And then Sean Jackson, who's their four-string guy, a big bruising running back, also had a big touchdown run and had some yards. Uh, and then you paired that with Robbie Ashford. I think Hugh Freeze is a very good rushing attack. So, I, you know, I think this is a game that Auburn should win, but I'm really worried about all those factors I said, you know, that make this kind of a difficult road trip in my mind. Yeah, it's a game where I think if it's played at Jordan-Hare, if it's played in a neutral location like Atlanta, I think that Auburn clearly wins. But, you know, you add in the travel, you add in just kind of the bizarreness, the Pac-12 after dark, um, you know, you add in um, – just kind of the um, the fact, too, that the Pac-12 has been kind of a conference riding the wave of momentum, you know, through and through, through the first week and in week zero. And, and I think that when you look at the fact that the SEC, you know, has had some questions with a couple of their teams now, to me that, that adds a lot of factors where I, I can see Cal winning this game easily. Um, you know, also when Freeze was at Ole Miss, um, he was supposed to have a road trip to Cal in 2017. Of course, that was the game that uh, Matt Luke um, ended up coaching for Ole Miss uh, with Shea Patterson. And I remember what was weird about that game, Dan, is that Ole Miss's offense um, started out pretty hot and then kind of bogged down um, kind of in the second quarter. And so I'll be interested to see. I know it's a completely different team and everything, but I want to see how an SEC team goes in there and, um, you know, how do they make adjustments from the second quarter on and kind of a unusual environment yeah and I mean I, I think what's going to help Auburn in this game is I was really impressed with the defense uh I knew what we had on the back end with Nehemiah Pritchett and uh and you know all the different people that they had uh in their secondary that was really really talented uh DJ James uh just really Zion Puckett a lot of guys that have been there for multiple year starters uh, the linebacking crew was what kind of impressed me in that first game. I saw Eugene Asante, who was a big-time uh, recruit, making a lot of plays. And I think that the the reason that Auburn wins this game is the defense. I think they're going to take, a, you know, not necessarily steps back on offense, but it's going to be a little bit slow moving here. And I think it's going to be a closer game. I think the number is Auburn at 7.5. I wouldn't be shocked if Cal covered on this. But I think this is going to be a tough road trip. I think this is one that Hugh Freeze is just going to be glad that Auburn gets a close W in. Yeah, I think so. I think it's one, you know, where he's definitely, uh, you know, concerned about. Um, a lot of things are just hard to prepare for until you get out there. You can only simulate so much. And I think, you know, one thing I want to see is, you know, kind of some adjustments the offense makes. You know, I talked about in-game adjustments. Adjustments. I want to see kind of how the offense looks starting out in the game because – the, the opening drive or two when I was watching the game against UMass, I felt like it was a little bit uncharacteristic of Hugh Freeze to the extent that a few things didn't look as crisp to me, like mm -hmm. the flow didn't look as good aesthetically that I've come to expect from his offenses. So I want to see like how 
hot did they get out to a start? Like, like, do they bog down early or do they kind of come out, you know, really clicking on all cylinders? So I think that's a strong indication. Also want to see how the defense, you know, you talked about it, how they match up with Jaden Ott, you know, who had a big day against North Texas last week, almost 200 yards rushing uh, the football. But, but at the end of the day, I, I think Auburn probably will win. Um, and, and again, you know, if it was on um, – a neutral site, like I, like I think it would be um, a, a no question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is just it, – it's a tough road trip and a and a tough time for it, and I think that makes all the difference in the world. It reminds me of when Auburn went out and traveled to Washington State to take on Mike Leach's first uh, Washington State Cougar team, and this is the year that Auburn wins the national championship and lost it in Gus Malzahn's first year, and they barely got out of there with a win. Uh, that was a tough. That was a tough game against Washington State. And I think this is a similar kind of thing for them. So I think this is going to be a tough one. But the one thing that I really want to see, uh, I'll be happy with any kind of win. Is I want to see Peyton Thorne look a little crisper. I think he finished with like eleven and nineteen for like hundred and ten yards, and he threw one touchdown pass that was good. Uh, but really, Robbie Ashford is the one who stole the show with kind of his Tebow esque uh, three touch t- rushing touchdowns. So I'd like to see Peyton Thorne be a little bit better throwing the pass. Uh, and, you know, one thing, too, is I'd also like to see who I think is probably going to end up being uh, the go-to receiver for Auburn to merge a little bit more. He made a couple plays, and ironically, is a Jackson State transfer and Shane Hooks that shows you the kind of Louis luggage that, that Dion really had there. And Hugh Freeze went out and got him, and I thought Shane Hooks looked to be the most polished out of all the Auburn receivers in that first game. Yes, yes. And, you know, when you're talking about Thorne and Ashford, too, I think, you know, you summed it up with kind of like the rocky passing day. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Like, I want to see the crispness. Like, I know Hugh Freeze was on the sideline, but I didn't see the offense have that kind of identity of Hugh Freeze. And I know it's week one, but I want to see how much that translates into week two, week three. Absolutely. Uh Joe, speaking of like, you know, we're talking about the Coach Prime and his his Louis luggage. Uh, they get to host the first home game of his tenure as Colorado's head coach with Nebraska, a big rival that they used to have from the Big 12 days and the Big and the Big Eight days. Um Nebraska's mindset is gonna be fascinating to me coming in this game. Uh Colorado, you know, is is sky high right now. Sky Rocky Mountains, right? I mean, with with Dion, with all the excitement, with the way their offense played in that first game, and it couldn't the the reverse couldn't be more true for Nebraska, which looked exactly like a Scott Frost Nebraska team. The offense was completely inept. Uh, they had Minnesota dead to rights. Uh, you know, an incredible touchdown pass. And cat and it's more of an incredible touchdown catch by Minnesota, where he was in bounds by like what a quarter of an inch, dragged the two. And then uh Jeff Sims, the Georgia Tech transfer for Nebraska, they're almost in field goal range, and he completely telegraphs a pass. Minnesota picks it off, and instead of Nebraska being there for a game-winning field goal, all Minnesota has to do is get two first downs and they kick the game-winning field goal. And, I mean, it's like Nebraska invents ways to lose football games. And then the stat gets shown up there that over the last three seasons, they've lost 19 one-possession games. That's unfathomable, Joe. Yeah, no, absolutely, Dan. And I know that you're going to hear a lot of people say that, 
you know, Matt Rule's going to turn this around. It's only a matter of time, but I've definitely got questions here. Uh, it seems like there's some type of culture issue, just some bad luck here with Nebraska. And the way the game start to play out, like losing it, like you summed up, the way they did to Minnesota, like it just did not feel that different from the losses that Scott Frost had the last four or five years since he's been there. And I, I just don't know if it's a good omen. I feel like it's a bad omen for the Matt Rule era. Right. I, mean, I think what you wanted to see in your first year with Nebraska – was for them to win some games they weren't supposed to. And really, I think the main thing you wanted to see was when they had a game in the bag, when they were winning a game, when it was tight, and everything was going right for them, for them to just finish the deal. And that was what the problem with Scott Frost was, is they kept yeah. being there right there at the end, but they couldn't get it done. And this was just as bad as any of the Scott Frost losses. I mean, this was – this was just as bad as last year when in Northwestern they have a 10-point lead and he kicks an onside kick. I mean, that was it was that unlikely they would lose that game when they're up 10 to 3 and it's fourth and you know 20 and they have to throw this miracle pass for a touchdown. And then you get the ball, you're all the way down to the I think the 42-yard line before you throw that pick. And I mean, it's just more of the same. And in my mind, I mean, I'm worried about where the psyche of this team is. And it seems like, you know, if you have that kind of loser mentality on your team, maybe Matt Rule should have cleared a little bit of the luggage out to bring in some more of his own people too. Yeah, you kind of feel that way. Um, and, and I think that with uh, Matt Rule, you felt like not only was he going to bring in, you know, more of his people, more, you know, impactful transfers, but you kind of felt like you were going to see the team do something that they weren't doing with Scott Frost, you know, like see that improvement, see that sign that, you know, we've brought in help, like help is on the way. And I did not see that at all. Like I saw the antithesis of that, like I almost saw to some degree, almost a worse version of what you already had. Yeah. That's what I thought too. And and so I think that Nebraska's defense uh, seems to be very good, which that's what you'd expect with Matt Rule. I mean, his Baylor defenses were incredible. His Temple defenses were incredible. That's what you know you have with them. But the offense looked worse than it did with Scott Frost. And that's why, you know, I think uh, an under-the-radar lock I have is I think the under on this game is really enticing. I think that Nebraska is going to do a much better job of shutting down Shadur Sanders, Travis Hunter, um, and, and Edwards, the great receiver, than what we saw from uh, TCU. But by the same token, the offense in Nebraska has is nowhere in the same hemisphere as TCU's. And I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. But I think Colorado wins again because, uh, let me tell you this, Joe, if it's a one-score game at the end, uh, even if you know it's it's a six-point Nebraska lead and you give ball, Shadur the ball at the one-yard line with 15 seconds left, I still think somehow Colorado would win because Nebraska invents ways to lose football games right now. Yeah, that, that's very true. You have much more confidence in uh, in Colorado. Um, you feel like, you know, they just kind of have that um, um, insertion of just excitement around the program. Now, I want to see how Sanders and the offense looks, you know, when they inevitably face that adversity, uh, like you talked about with the defensive challenge from Nebraska. Um, I also similarly want to see how um, – does Colorado's defense hold up against Nebraska trying to run the football? If I'm Nebraska, that's part of my game plan, trying to run the football. And so, yeah, I definitely think it's going to be a lower scoring probably 
um, you know, closer game. But I, I think that Colorado will win. Um, quite frankly, I, I don't see uh, a, a path where Colorado loses Deion Sanders' home opener. But, hey, if Matt Rule pulls this off, I mean, suddenly it's like the narrative is a 180 probably for next week. I think that, you know, the Nebraska people have forgotten all about the first game if he somehow pulls this off. But I just – I think that, if anything, maybe Matt Rule had a more difficult rebuild than even Dion did because of what's happened in Nebraska football and because of where they used to be to where they are now and with the way they've lost the games. I mean, at least with Colorado, you knew they weren't any good – and that you had to get rid of that a lot of players had to leave and that you had to revamp the culture with with Nebraska. It's not that they've had bad teams. It's just that they've had teams that didn't know how to close out games. And we saw more of the same. And to me, that's that's an upsetting sign. It is. And, and the last thing I'll say about it is that um, I feel like when you're bringing in a defensive minded coach in this day and age, the rebuild is usually going to take more time. And sometimes, you know, it never really gets uh, going correctly because I feel like it's easier to get a team, you know, some emergence when you're kind of bringing in that offense. It's kind of like, you know, the old adage of bringing in a Juco quarterback that's going to help, you know, a rebuilding team, you know, kind of inject that life into them. And I, I think it's harder kind of how Rule wants to build the program. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, the good news from that Rule is Nebraska is very patient. And he's going to have his time. But, yeah, you don't see defensive guys make, a, you know, a huge headway in their first year. So that'll be a, definitely a fascinating game. And, Joe, the game of the weekend, which, you know, in some ways I feel like it's almost being overshadowed to an extent by mm -hmm. the home opener for Colorado and Dion, and what's going to be a sellout in a beautiful setting in Boulder, Colorado, is Texas making the trip to Alabama after what was such a great game last year. And Joe, I've heard a lot of interesting, like kind of theories out there that when you think about, you know, the game that I wouldn't say this was the very first step of the Saban dynasty, but it was the the first, uh, you know, real cornerstone that was put out there for his initial national championship team. Of course, came against Texas, and of course, Texas fell fell down. And the entire time the Saban's been at Alabama, Texas hasn't really been good. Uh, last year, Texas almost got Alabama at home, and I saw I've heard some parallels to how Tennessee had a pretty good run at Alabama the year before they beat them, and that if Texas were to win this game, maybe that signals the real end of the Texas the the Saban dynasty, and that it began with Texas and it ends with Texas. Now I think that's a little bit too much soliloquy, and I don't really agree with that. But I do find this game really interesting. And one thing that that I that I also find fascinating about it is that Alabama's secondary is going to be without two starters. And that's a scary thing for me. Malachi Moore and then their transfer from UAB, who I think is a starting safety and a starting quarterback, are not going to be in. And I'm also fascinating to see, too, with Quinn Ewers having a game that really wasn't very good against Rice, uh, and knowing that he's got Arch Manning there behind him, nipping at his heels, how motivated is Quinn Ewers going to be to have an excellent game, especially considering the fact that Dallas Turner knocked him out of last year's game with an arguably dirty hit? Mm -hmm. No, the, the, those are all valid points. Um, and I think Texas has a really good chance to pull this off and, and make this game very close. 
I think the dynamic when it comes to Saban and Alabama kind of within this conversation, this greater conversation of, you know, is the dynasty, you know, on its last uh, leg and you're kind of comparing it, you know, to some of these other teams that have had a recent fall, uh, most notably uh, Clemson with Dabo. I think that what separates Alabama and Saban for me compared to Clemson specifically is that you're finally seeing, I think, more questions emerge about Clemson in the midst of having new uh, um, coordinators the last two years. Whereas we've seen um, Alabama with Saban, he's done that year in getting new coordinators. Like we've never seen Dabo Sweeney truly without Brent Venables until last year. And that didn't, you know, go as well um, at the end. And so I think that with Saban, he's more adapted to that. You were talking about an earlier episode that nobody adapts better than him. And so I think he's still very well suited to pull this off. Um, I, I think it'll be close, but I think that um, Milro, his ability to create havoc, to, you know, pick up yardage um, with his legs, I feel like that's going to be tough for um, – for Texas to contain um, at Bryant Denny. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Milrow had an excellent first game against Middle Tennessee State, and he rushed it really well. He threw some good passes. He clearly established himself as the number one guy. But the big problem with Milrow is that he's turnover prone. He showed it last year in the two times he got to play against Texas A&M and Arkansas for large portions of the game. Um. You know, I think Alabama is the better football team, but I just have this weird kind of feeling that Texas is going to win this game. And I think it's because, like I said, I think Quinn Ewers knows this is his opportunity for him to finally, uh, you know, show out and get uh, get on the national stage to really be someone that could they, they could be a high-round draft pick. Uh, he's got the motivation from getting knocked out of last year's game. I think Texas has had this one circled for the entire year. And I almost feel like for Jalen Milrow having his first big game, it would have been better for him to travel to Austin than it will be in front of a home crowd. I think a lot of times uh, young quarterbacks early on, if they have to play a big game in front of their home crowd, especially one that can be kind of severe, I think that can be a little damaging for them. And I think that Texas is probably going to get out to a big start. And I kind of like the Longhorns in this one. And I think that – especially with Alabama having uh, two players out in the secondary that are starters. I think the really good receiving core that Texas has, including JoJo Earl, who's an Alabama transfer, I look for them to have a good game. Yeah, I mean, it, it could easily happen. I mean, Texas could easily win this game. You know, they were right there last year, and that was against uh, Bryce Young, you know, at home. Um, and, and I get, you know, the, the injuries to, to the secondary – and that could, you know, potentially open the door for uh, Quinn Ewers. But I think that when I look at, you know, the ability for Milrow to create plays, um, yeah, I don't feel like, you know, Texas is as strong running the football this year without uh, Robinson. And while, you know, Alabama doesn't have Gibbs, you know, they don't necessarily have that household name at running back. I still trust, you know, them by committee more than I would Texas um, specifically. And, and I just think that, you know, while it would be just an incredible story if Sark wins this, you know, everybody would be talking about the fact that I guess it would kind of start that yearly narrative, like is Texas truly back or not? But I, I just feel like when I see teams go to Bryant-Denny, especially teams that aren't as accustomed to going there as often, I just feel like it's always such a unique, you know, test in front of that crowd. 
and I just have confidence in uh, in saving in this situation. Yeah, I definitely like, you know, I think this is going to be a great game. And my, my Texas pick is no way like one that I'm like, you know, really like bully on. I definitely think that Alabama has the better team. I just think that all the circumstances kind of line up for me for Texas to finally get this big win right before they enter the SEC. It, it would be something. Like, it would be fitting for it to happen. Um, I'll say this. I mean, from what I saw week one in the SEC, like, I definitely got the sense that anything's possible. And that I do think there's a degree of vulnerability where you easily could see one or two teams knock off Alabama this year at some point. You know, perhaps it could be Texas. I saw this interesting, like, thing today that was, like, kind of like a timeline of of how this this is really like Texas's conspiracy to take down Saban and Alabama because because uh you know Texas tried to get Saban back in 2013 to be their coach yeah and that you know in 2018 Texas already had an idea that they were maybe going to get in the SEC they agreed with Alabama to do this home and home and when 2020 came around and the end of the TV contract was starting to loom they got into the SEC and. You know, they realized that 2024 could be their first season and they got it set up to where they could have a game at Texas and then won at home right before they entered in. And they thought maybe if they could win it, then it would be a huge blow to Alabama because I think that's what Texas, you know, that's what the, the standard they're going to hold themselves to. And, of course, they have more money than Alabama. And, you know, you get this kind of win, then you have a huge kind of cachet to put yourself in as we're a real big boy they can hang in the SEC. Oh, no doubt. I mean, this would be like a program, you know, defining kind of emergence uh, type win for them. Like this would be obviously, you know, the biggest win they've had since uh, USC, I think, in the national championship game with Vince Young, because you know how bad they want it. You know, Texas fans all the time think about that 2009 championship loss. And then they think about last year, how just like Cole McCoy got hurt in 2009, Quinn Ewers got hurt in the first quarter of that game when at that time he was really lighting up Alabama's defense. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Uh, Joe, the last one that I wanted to hit, briefly hit on for a second um, it was Texas A&M and Miami. Uh, this is a game where Texas A&M is traveling down to Miami. Who do you think this game is more important for? Um, I think it's more important for um... – for A&M, honestly, I think that A&M looks pretty good and they've got to kind of trust see if they can keep that going. Absolutely. Uh, you know, definitely good to see the dynamic between Petrino and Jimbo on display. Looking forward to all these games this weekend and to you catching more of our episodes. Catch all episodes on Spotify and, of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel. See us in live and in color. And, of course, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.